Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everyone, welcome to Sparking Wholeness. As I launched this podcast, I wanted to share a little bit about my story, why mental health and all things related are so important to me, and really why I'm even doing this podcast thing to begin with. I promise I will try to keep it interesting because nobody really wants to hear just one person talking the whole time. I mean, I don't. So here's my background. Here's my backstory. I grew up in a stereotypical faith-based home as a stereotypical preacher's kid. My family was close. I had a brother and sister twin set gifted to me a little after my second birthday. My parents never pressured us to put on a show for people, but as a firstborn overachiever, I placed a lot of pressure upon myself to smile, interact with people, be present, and on at church. I had this deep need early on to be seen and to be noticed for my achievements. Health-wise, I really struggled. As a baby, I was colicky. Later, I suffered from many ear infections, went on multiple rounds of antibiotics. I suffered from horrible allergies, asthma attacks as a child. I received allergy shots and frequently was on steroids. Now, I loved food. Give me a church potluck and I will show you how I can put away the sweets. I remember at one point eating so much cherry pie that I was sick all night long. This might not be super significant to mention yet, or it might not seem significant, but I promise I'm going to connect all this. Life was actually, you know, pretty okay, pretty perfect until the year I was nine. This was the first time in my life when I would find myself angry with God, and it would cause me to mistrust him. It would cause me to mistrust everybody. I witnessed my grandpa, who we were all very close to. This is my mom's dad. He died on my front lawn due to anaphylactic shock. It was terrifying. I stood with my brother and sister at the window, watching the scene unfold in a strange, dissociated way. And now I will say it wouldn't be the first time I sensed myself disassociating from reality, but seeing my mom and my grandma and all the emergency workers fail to save my grandpa left me with a deep fear of losing someone again, a fear that those who are supposed to make me safe never will be able to do that. And that's a pretty heavy burden for a little girl. Now, I did experience PTSD symptoms. Um, We didn't know what they were at the time. I didn't know what they were at the time. But this trauma really didn't hit me until eighth grade when I began dreaming of going to sleep and never waking up. So some of you might know depression is debilitating. I didn't understand why I couldn't just pray it away or read my Bible enough to keep the darkness from taking over. Now, as I said, I grew up in a faith-based home and that's just kind of what I was taught growing up. But an illness like depression where I physically felt it, I physically could not get out of bed. It was scary. I didn't comprehend even why I had such a nice life. I I knew I had friends, I had parents, I had good grades, I had lots of school activities, I had things going for me. And I knew in my logical brain that these things were true and these things were good things, but I just had this heavy, deep sadness that overtook me. 
and it blurred out anything else that was going on. Now, thankfully, my parents caught on to my struggle and they took me to see a counselor and then they took me to see a psychiatrist. I was put on medication, I was put on Zoloft and things, you know, got a little bit better through high school, kind of. Um, This is where I will say it is difficult for me to distinguish what is my illness and what is my personality because like just me as a person, I have always loved laughter, fun, excitement, goal-directed activity, and getting involved in everything there is. If there's a game, let's do it. Let's win. Let's get involved. If there's a party, I want to go and I want to be in the center of the room starting the dances or whatever, right? Like that's just who I am. I've always filled my schedule up. I've always just gone 110% at whatever it is I do. I've always even lived with like this sense of grandiosity. Uh, sometimes I like to call it delusional confidence. <laughs> I will say it comes in very handy when you're facing scary situations like, I don't know, starting a podcast and spilling your life story. So all that being said, it's difficult for me to say when the manic highs became higher than what was typical for me. I've always been high on life, but you know, mania is a whole different beast. And I'll talk about that in in just a second, but I've got to throw this in. Um, After I was put on Zoloft, I really struggled with my weight. I gained about 30 pounds in between the end of my sophomore year of high school and the end of my junior year of high school. That's a 30 pound weight gain in a little over a year. That's a lot of weight when you're only five foot four, you're a teenager and you know, your whole life revolves around your looks, right? Uh, Like, again, I said, I had a raging sweet tooth. I've always craved sweets, um, but I was very active. And and it was just like the meds gave me this extra puffiness and it caused a lot of insecurity in me. I went on my first crazy diet at the end of my senior year. All I wanted was to be skinny. So the boys would like me and pay more attention to me. Somehow my relationship with food and dieting is tied into this whole mental health story. Um, I'm still trying to connect that and figure out what that is, but Um, I stopped eating carbs my senior year with this crazy extreme diet I did. I went on massive calorie restriction. I almost passed out at my swim team practice. It was that much of a shock to my body. But I did lose the weight. And, you know, it's funny. That gave me more confidence. It gave me kind of this new version of unstoppable grandiosity. And at that point, it seemed like my deep lows were turning into off-the-chart highs by the time I graduated high school. I was diagnosed as bipolar my freshman year of college. What's interesting about this is that I was also diagnosed with mononucleosis around the same time, but that didn't even phase me. I mean, I would fall asleep in class and stuff, but I could still stay up all night long without needing a break to sleep. I did take part in some risky behavior and that's where that weird, you know, my already, you know, high on life living became a little bit too high. Um, Some of these risky behaviors involved alcohol, some things involved relationships. And out of nowhere one night, I decided to get a hideous tramp stamp tattoo with a random guy I had just met. Um, This all happened when my parents were out of town. I came back they thought it was a joke. Nope, it was real. So needless to say, my parents were pretty concerned. Again, looking back, I, you know, what is teenage rebellion? What is mania? It will forever be hard for me to distinguish. One thing I do know that sets my manic episodes apart from regular Aaron is that when I was manic, I didn't care about my reputation. I didn't care how people saw me or even what the consequences of my actions would be. That is super unlike me because typically I am desperately insecure and worried about how others perceive me. 
I think one of the sentences I even used with my counselor that was the nail in the coffin on my diagnosis is that I told him, I could get through college in a day. That's not hard. <laughs> um, he kind of looked at me. My mom kind of looked at me. Um, but the thing is, at that state of mind, I really believed that when I said it. And I didn't understand why anyone would question me on that. Like, college? I'll finish college right now. Give me all the classes. It's not hard. So that was how mania manifested in me. Much of that year, post-diagnosis is a blur. The diagnosis, the numbing medication I was given left me hurt, left me angry. It left me on a really self-destructive path. Um, you know, I, <laughs> there are some things that I have just kind of wiped from my mind. I, I don't want to remember. Um, but there are a lot of things that, again, like I said, are confusing. There are a lot of um, ha things that happened while I was on medication that I'm not sure if it was the medication. I'm not sure if it was my broken brain. I'm not sure if it was just rebellion from all of it. Um, I did have a brief period of calm where I stayed on my meds, but again, I gained so much weight on those things. I hated them. Lithium made my butt break out. And then another one, I think it was maybe, um, Seroquel is what it's called. It made the side of my mouth go numb. Like I, like a palsy effect. It was very strange. Um, but you know, the thing about being numb, what's interesting is I was kind of numb to all emotions when I was doped up on those meds. So eventually I turned to alcohol to make me feel something again. I think it's really hard. Now I can't speak for all people with bipolar, but um, I'll speak for myself. It's hard to stay on medication when mania is pleasant. I think people who only suffer from depression, um, when they start feeling better, when they start feeling relief from the depression, it makes sense to stay on medication. But when you enjoy feeling even just hypomania, just a little bit of that, you know, goal directed activity and those great ideas and the racing thoughts, like who wants to numb that out? Right. So drinking alcohol was a great way for me to experience feelings of any kind again. Um, now one of the side effects of alcohol on the meds that I was taking was blacking out, but what did I care? I was pretty angry at that point. I was angry at God for giving me a disease I couldn't control. Like I said before, I was an overachieving firstborn who set way too high of expectations as a preacher's kid. <laughs> um, and I kind of put that role on myself like, oh, I need to, I need to look good to everybody. Um, so I did resent that life wasn't picture perfect. I resented that I struggled with something that carried a stigma. And I felt guilty for even being mad at God about it. It was just this vicious cycle. At that time, you know, mental illness, this was probably, when I was diagnosed, it was uh, 1999, 20 years ago. And at that time, mental illness wasn't discussed as it is today, especially not in the Christian community. I think many fellow believers thought it was a spiritual issue, not an actual physical disorder with so much at play than just, oh, I don't know, a failure to believe in God's goodness. I think a lot of people are like, well, let's, you know, pray and God is good. Why can't you be happy? There's so many things to be happy about. I'm like, I know. Um, I didn't understand it myself. So in spite of all this, my parents stood by me as supportive as they could be. My mom and I, we've always been close. She is the strongest prayer warrior I know. My dad didn't necessarily understand it. Um, he's never suffered from those things, but there is a history of mental illness on my mom's side. She suffered from some pretty bad um, anxiety and depression herself after witnessing her father die. So she kind of got it. She was there to listen to me. She took me to appointments when I had a breakdown and I couldn't take myself. I can't even imagine what they were thinking at this point. Now, you know, as a parent, 
looking back, I, I think about as a child, it was scary for me to have a brain I couldn't trust, but as a parent, gosh, what kind of fear and anxiety did they face every day, not knowing what was going on with their daughter? So, you know, there's some other medication stories I could tell that are kind of funny, maybe not so funny, but I mean, I, at one point I used to go to bookstores a lot, Hastings, if anybody remembers Hastings, it was like a music and bookstore and video store. Um, but at one point I was going to Hastings to get my therapy from books like I always did. And I walked in the door and I looked over at the side and I swore there was a pile of dead bodies in the corner. It really freaked me out. Um, different things like that would happen. Another time I decided to smoke some marijuana with my friends um, and they swore, oh, this is really good stuff. Um, it's really pure. It's not laced with anything. Well, I was out of my mind for about three days. Um, now with some of the research I've been doing, um, I have read, there's quite a bit of research showing that people with bipolar disorder, marijuana could do more harm than good. And there's a percentage of people that at least a psychosis, I am one of those people. Um, it was not good for me. I was out of, like I said, out of my mind for a few days. We went to get blood work done to see if it was laced with anything, but I couldn't even get the blood work done because I thought the people that were going to take my blood um, were animals. So it, it was really scary. So those are just a few um, interesting things that happened. Um, as far as food and my body image issues related to that, that's always going to be something that comes into play with the story because I continue to gain weight on this back and forth med cycle. Um, I already had an extremely low self-esteem. I really believed people wouldn't want to be friends with me if I was in a larger body. I craved attention, any kind of validation from men because getting that attention validated that maybe I was attractive, maybe I was worth being around, maybe I was still fun even though my head was a mess. My looks were a constant idol for me. I battled a major sweet tooth. Again, see, there, <laughs> there it is again. Um, but, you know, being on antibiotics every month during the first semester of my senior year of college, that led to um, yeast infections, more sweets cravings, and more weight gain. I had chronic tonsillitis. I ended up getting my tonsils taken out um, because I just kept getting sick. Now, knowing what I know now about gut health, I know that all of this is connected to my mental instability. I know that I truly had a brain and a body on fire. I know I was suffering from massive inflammation. It was an endless cycle. I tried dieting. I tried doing, oh, I think it was, you know, Weight Watchers, and I would lose a little bit, but that newfound attention I got from my, you know, 10, 15 pound weight loss only led to more reckless, destructive behaviors, more drinking, more blackouts, more gaps in memory. There were times that I drove home from places and upon arriving at my house, I had no memory of the drive home. That's pretty scary. In November of 2003, just a few weeks shy of graduating college, I became pregnant. My world was flipped upside down. It completely broke down my relationship with my parents, which was already hanging by a thread at that point. And I realized the only thing I had to rely on was my faith, the faith that I had denied for a really long time. Now, at first, because of all the heavy medication I took for my illness, I was on Depakote at the time. That's a very risky med to be taking while pregnant. In fact, you're not supposed to be taking it while pregnant at all. I didn't know that my baby would be born healthy. There were people in my life who thought that, um, taking care of that pregnancy and choosing abortion would be a safer and more logical option. I didn't have a relationship with the baby's father. I wasn't stable mentally. Um, but that was just not the decision that I wanted to make for the life within me. 
So strangely enough, my time of pregnancy was a time when I was very stable mentally. I've heard stories now of how people with autoimmune illnesses can actually go into remission during pregnancy. And so I've often wondered if it was similar for me, you know, maybe it was a hormone thing. Uh, maybe there's something about my hormones during pregnancy that's really good. Um, but maybe it was just grace. Maybe it was just a gift to me. It was also the most instrumental time of spiritual growth. Now, let me say this. I know that there may be somebody listening. There are many people who have been burned by religion and organized religion and the representatives that make up religion. And that makes me really sad because I need to make something clear. I received nothing but grace and support during the surprise pregnancy. You know, whether people said anything or not or gossiped or whispered about me or whatever, I didn't hear it. I received so many baby showers, so many gifts, and such an overflowing outpouring of love. It was an extremely healing time for me. Ultimately, I made the decision to raise my daughter. I named her Isabel Bliss. The name Isabel, um, you know, it's way trendy now, but in 2004, it was not that popular. Um, I chose it because of the meaning. The, the name Isabel means consecrated to God because I want her to know that her life has meaning and a purpose no matter what. So Isabel's life, her young, new life changed mine completely. When she was eight weeks old, I moved to Dallas with my parents not long after she was born. I began teaching. I, at that point, somehow I had obtained a college degree. Um, you know, I, it's funny, hypomania does, does work for you in that way. Um, I always did really well in school, and I graduated with a college degree. I um, got an alternative teaching certificate through a program in Dallas, and I began investing in the lives of my English as a second language students. I wanted to speak truth and hope into their lives. I wanted to spark joy and healing and hope for them, just the way that I had experienced that in my own life. And that's where the true healing began. After, um, now, after I finished breastfeeding Isabel when she was a baby, some of my old symptoms returned. Um, so, which leads me again to wonder how much of my hormones are at play with my illness. But um, man, that rush to the brain, that is mania. Hello, old friend. That crept all back in. I loved the feeling, but I knew I had to do better for my daughter. I knew she needed stability. Funny how I never sought out stability for myself, but I definitely would for her. So I, I went back on mood stabilizers. I had been on antidepressants the whole time. I didn't mention that in my pregnancy. I was able to be on those. Um, but I did find a good mood stabilizer without too many side effects. I started taking better care of myself, not just for my sake, but for the sake of her. I started running, um, which is something I never did before, but I thought, oh, running makes you healthy, I'll run. Um, I started eating a little bit better. Um, you know, those things are important for somebody with mental illness. And though I didn't know it at the time, this is kind of where my passion for physical wellness and nutrition kind of started up. I got involved in a recovery group at my church um, to really work on some hurts and some resentment that I had within myself. And I began to realize that as a three-part being, being body, mind, and spirit, I had to work on healing for all three of those parts. And those, that would bring lasting change into my, into my life. Now, I met my husband, Richard, in the summer of 2008 when my daughter was four. 
Long story short, I will not go into all of it. It's a great story for another podcast, maybe a Valentine's episode, but um, we were married a year after we met and a year after that, he adopted my daughter Isabel as his own, just as his father adopted him when he was little. It's pretty cool how that all tied together. Now, ironically, Richard is also a licensed professional counselor, so that's kind of fun, comes in a little handy as well. Um, Now, you know, there have been many times in my life where I was so ashamed of being bipolar or struggling with my weight because of the meds that I allowed my insecurities to become my identity. I allowed, I can think of many times, I allowed my insecurities to keep me from relationships or even opportunities. And as a woman, as a person, we all have insecurities. And when we let those perceived deficiencies threaten our value, we miss out on so much. I'm still learning to release shame. It wasn't until a year and a half ago that I even, you know, came out and told people that I have bipolar disorder. I've been kind of hiding under the umbrella of depression for a while because I think that's easier for people to accept. I don't think people understand what bipolar is, but I'm learning to release that shame. I'm learning to share my story with vulnerability. As Brene Brown says, vulnerability is a gift. And I want my story to be a gift that offers hope for people. Shame is a huge liar. It has kept me from doing so many things, but there's so much, so much freedom in grace and grace that doesn't make sense by human standards. It's supernatural grace. And, you know, the last few years as I've dived deeper into my story, somehow being brave enough to share it and even out myself with that label, I've seen how it can be useful to help other people. There's so much misinformation about what bipolar disorder is. It's a, it's one of those ones that people joke about like, Oh, she's moody. She must be bipolar. And it's like, dude, you don't know what bipolar is. Um, but you know, even within that, I'm, I, I think it's more common than anybody wants to let on. So about five years ago, I learned something that would totally change my career path. I learned about the gut brain connection, one of my favorite topics. Um, there is actually a nerve called the vagus nerve, not vagus like Las Vegas, but it's spelled V-A-G-U-S. It connects our gut and brain. It helps our mood neurotransmitters get where they need to go, and they are actually produced in the gut. Serotonin is produced in the gut. Um, new studies are suggesting more and more studies coming out all the time that by addressing our gut health, addressing inflammation caused by poor gut health, we can actually improve our mental health. So I began working for a successful wellness company that allowed me to leave, leave teaching, um, which I loved, but I was going to be having my third baby and I wanted to have a little bit more freedom to work from home. And I've been able to do that through that company. Now, it's funny, the newfound knowledge I gained about treating the root issues and not just the symptoms, they have been absolutely instrumental for me and my healing. Um, You know, I've mentioned I struggled with body image, I struggled with my weight, I have all these physical struggles, but it wasn't actually until I started treating the root and dealing with my gut health and dealing with nutrient deficiencies that um, I even saw myself go to a weight that is healthy for me. Is it the weight that I think I need to be at in my, you know, messed up body image state of mind? Um, No, but I'm at a weight that is healthy for me. And I have a better relationship with food than I had in a long, in a long, I've ever had in my whole life. Um, I'm not held captive by my sugar cravings. 
Um, you know, I, I feel like I've been able to find ways to stabilize my blood sugar naturally, which is also really important for mental illness. Um, but you know, even looking at my genes, I have a set of genes that predisposes me to mental illness. Hopefully I will be doing a podcast on that soon, but, um, you know, our genes as, as somebody, somebody once said, our genes load the gun, our environment pulls the trigger. And so for me, trauma, um, chronic stress in my life and, you know, set just negative mindset. I mean, there are all sorts of things, food, maybe food that wasn't the best, you know, food choices for me, those pulled the trigger on my mental illness. And, even med- there, there are various medications that I took, antibiotics, steroids that messed up my gut microbiome and were enough to trigger this disorder in my body. So by combating that now, I utilize nutrition, movement, supplementation. Um, there are so many nutrients and vitamins that we don't get from our food um, that's important to supplement with. Um, I, make, I make very, very sure to get good sleep every night. That is huge. Huge. That is so important, especially for people with bipolar disorder. Sleep is key. Um, relaxation practices. You know, I've learned yoga has been very calming for me. As hard as it is for my brain to do yoga, it is extremely calming for me. And um, just regular, like I said, regular movement. I can kind of keep my illness under control in that way. And so. A little over a year ago, I enrolled in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I became a certified holistic health coach. And my goal is I really want to help other people with their health health goals. Um, From there, I started a blog and I started growing my Instagram. And I love being able to share information. I love being able to spark change in people. I don't have all the answers. I hope to learn more as I go. I'm learning more every day. I don't know what's going to heal your depression, your anxiety, your bipolar disorder. I don't know what's going to heal your chronic disease. I know what worked for me may not work for somebody else. There are so many different tools for for healing. (laughs) Um, And I just want to offer various tools to support people. Those same tools that helped me that I mentioned above, nutrition for my mind and body through food, sleep, relaxation, yoga, running, and there's also nutrition for my soul, my faith, my hope, my gratitude, my praise. Those are tools that everyone can use wherever they are on their health journey, no matter what has happened to them, no matter what genes that they were dealt. And that is why I'm starting this podcast. That is why I am so grateful that you are with me on this journey. And I am so excited to see what comes of it. So stay tuned, subscribe to this podcast. If if you're one of those subscribing types, Um, follow me along on this journey. I have some awesome guests lined up already for this first season, and I can't wait to see what happens. And I really hope that I can spark wholeness in you and the way that I have learned to find healing for myself. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.